Sticks and stones may break my bones. We all know that, don't we? True or false? Who thinks it's true? Zero. Who thinks it's false? It's nonsense, of course, isn't it? Not what I just said. Um, it's nonsense, that saying, because we know, don't we, that words are powerful. Um, they're powerful to hurt, on the one hand, um, and they can be really powerful to encourage as well, can't they? And I imagine most of us can probably think of an occasion when someone said something which was just did so much damage. And we can probably think of an occasion when someone just came with the right word at the right moment, and it was just so helpful and encouraging. And Paul knows all of this. Um, for if you've been here the last few weeks, you will know that this is his last letter. He's writing it from prison in Rome. Um, he knows what suffering's all about, Paul, doesn't he? You know, ba basically, you name it, uh, he faced it. And if you've never read 2 Corinthians chapter 11, you can find there just some of the things that Paul had to face and deal with. And now he says, verse 9, I'm suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Uh, and why is this? Verse 8, because he proclaims Jesus as the risen king. But, he says, and this is the heart of our passage tonight, it's a very short passage, and it's not that complicated, really. The end of verse 9 into verse 10, he says, but God's word is not chained. God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, by which he just means God's people, the church, those who Jesus have ch has chosen and called and elected. And as Tom said, we've been looking at this letter over the past few weeks. It helps us to... That Paul's really writing to encourage his young colleague Timothy in what it looks like to be a Christian leader. We've been calling it a Jesus-shaped leader. And we've seen how Jesus-shaped leaders share their lives with others, are dependent and filled with the Holy Spirit, are unashamed about Jesus. Last week we came up with all kinds of sentences uh, to capture the passage. Something like Jesus-shaped leaders are strong in grace to persevere uh, through suffering in order to win the crown. And so here's part five, these few verses in the, in the middle of 2 Timothy 2. Uh, Jesus-shaped leaders trust what God has said because he is faithful. That's what we're all about for a few minutes this evening. And the, the center point, as I say, is Paul's confidence that the word of God is not chained. He has this deep trust in God's word that it cannot be contained, uh, which is a great model for Timothy and a great model for all of us. You may have heard of the, there was a famous Victorian preacher called Charles Spurgeon. I imagine some of you recognize that name. Some of you may even know a bit more about him. Any Baptists here this evening? Um, may, got, a, got a yes, didn't quite get a praise the Lord, but uh, um, may know him particularly. A Baptist, a Victorian preacher, um, one of the Baptist training colleges that a friend of mine went to is called Spurgeon's College in London. Some of you may know that as well. Um, one of his famous things was that he often compared the Bible to a lion. And, uh, you know, he, he basically said, you know, trying to defend the Bible is like trying to stand in front of a lion and protect it. It's completely pointless. Why would you do that with a fierce lion? He, he, he said something like this in lots of different ways. Here's one quote of his. He, he said this, Just open the door and let the lion out. He will take care of himself. He no sooner goes forth than his assailants flee. It's a great Victorian way of speaking, isn't it? The answer to every objection against the Bible is the Bible. Now, in one sense, that ought to be obvious, shouldn't it? You know, here we are in church. We read it every week. Um, it, it goes without saying, but I think it also bears saying. It's an encouragement to us. Um, Paul knows this well, not least because 
he was someone who knew his, his Bible very well. Of course, Paul's Bible was what we call the Old Testament. The New Testament, he was still busy being one of those who was writing it. It hadn't been published yet at this point. And he knew what the scriptures said about themselves, what God had said in his word. So here's a couple of examples. Can you just pass the microphone to Brian and, and David for us? And um, Brian, we're gonna, um, I'm going to get you to read Isaiah 40, verses 6 to 8, if you would. And then after that, David, Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. So Isaiah 40, 6 to 8. Have a listen to this. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Thank you very much indeed. See what God says about his word, and we could have picked all kinds of examples from the Old Testament, but Isaiah 40, just the, that last bit that Brian read, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. And there in Isaiah 55, God says, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Paul knew these things. He knew what Isaiah had said very well. He knew that God's word would, would do its work, would be the thing to sustain God's people. That's what Isaiah was saying, knowing that they were going to go into exile in Babylon, you know, 700 years or 800 years before the time of Paul. And he knew that it was still the thing that Timothy needed to sustain him, whatever he faced uh, as a leader in the church. And I want to say, it's also the thing we need. It's the thing to sustain a fearful and doubting 21st century church as well. Um, Jesus-shaped leaders like Paul trust what God has said because he is faithful. So what does this look like in practice? Very quickly, in um, uh, the first bit of our passage, the bit at the bottom of the first page there, um, there's, there's basically four bits to what Paul says here, I think. First, he knows the gospel, doesn't he? What is Paul's gospel? There in those verses. It's not a theory, is it, Paul's gospel? It's not a system for people to get saved. It's a person. His gospel is Jesus. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David, he says, this is my gospel. What you need is Jesus. That's the first thing. Um, this declaration that there is a king. That's what Christ means, isn't it? And it's Jesus, whose resurrection shows that he's more than just a member of David's family. He's actually the, the true royal descendant uh, in whom all of the promises uh, that were made to David are going to be inherited and, and fulfilled. That's a ridiculous and unbelievable thing to say, except for the resurrection, which is why Paul emphasizes that again and again in his letters, because it proves otherwise. So Paul's gospel is Jesus, the promised king. Secondly, follow this gospel, Timothy, and you will 
suffer, is what he says. We've come across this before, haven't we, in this letter. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, he says, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Paul is completely upfront about what following Jesus can be like, just like Jesus was upfront about it, as we found as we've read through Luke's gospel. Um, in various places, the faithful Christian who publicly insists that Jesus is the real true king is unlikely to have an easy life. Um, and Paul is living proof of that and uh, confidently expresses it too. So he knows the gospel. He says, follow it, Timothy, and you will suffer. Thirdly, he says, but God's word cannot be chained. Like I said before, it's, it's the lion. It can look after itself. The word of our God endures forever. The word that goes out from my mouth the Lord says, will not return to me empty. It will fulfill the purpose for which I sent it. Paul knows that even when people try to suppress the claims of Jesus, the things that God's word says, well, even at that point, it's doing its job, doing its work. It's making inroads. And so fourthly, lastly, Paul is prepared to face whatever comes his way, whatever it takes. And he probably knows that he's likely to die fairly soon at this point, which we think is probably what happened, although we can't be 100% sure. Um, he's prepared to face whatever it is for the sake of God's people. And verse 10, it's interesting, isn't it? He says he does it for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain the salvation of King Jesus. He's doing it for the good of the church, for this young church. Um, he's almost like a a man in battle who's deliberately, he's happy to create a diversion and draw the, you know, the fire onto himself to create a bit of space for others, the rest of these young Christians, to, to grow and to develop and become strong in, in faith and in hope. Um, notice the end of verse 10, he says, his eyes are on eternal glory, those things of the age to come that Jesus promised. So in summary, um, another way of, of capturing these verses would be to say there are about two contrasts. On the one hand, Paul is chained, but God's word cannot be chained. That's the first contrast, and that's what matters. And then the second one is that he says there may be suffering now, and that's certainly what he faced, but he says it's nothing compared to the eternal glory of the salvation that we have in King Jesus. And again, that is what really matters. So, uh, my question for us really this evening is this. What difference does it make to us if we have the same confidence as Paul in God's word? When I say us, I mean as a, as a church particularly, as individuals, as Christians. What difference would it make to us if we had Paul's confidence in God's word and what it can do? Where do we find the temptations to stand on something other than God's word today? Where might the temptations be for us as Christians not to trust God's word, but to trust something else? I mean, I don't know about you, but a number of times over the years, it's been so helpful to me to hear stories of, it's weird, isn't it? Christians in places around the world where they're having so much of a harder time than we get here, and yet the way in which they, uh, they have the courage to express their faith uh, is just inspirational, really. You know, it, it's not just ancient history. It isn't just Paul. You know, there are many, there are quite a, quite a number of places around the world right now where to be a Christian is potentially to be in danger for, for Jesus' name. Yeah. So we might have more courage um, if we thought that. I mean, this isn't, I'm not asking the question, I'm, I'm conscious in the way it sounds. It almost 
leads to an answer which criticizes ourselves, doesn't it? Um, I hope we do have a confidence in God's word. And looking around this room, I can think of conversations I've had with lots of people here which says, yes, we do. Sometimes I've you know, got it together enough to think what I need to do is read something of what God has said. And it does change how we feel, doesn't it? More often than not. Um, another one, my little two penis, is, is a question which, I forget who first asked me this, but it's just a, a good question to ask, ask ourselves is, when was the last time um, we changed our actions or changed our mind because of something that the Bible said? And because I know what I'm like, and I think we, we can all be, you know, we, we can look for the Bible to affirm what we already think. And it's very easy to do that. And in some ways, the more training we have in handling the Bible, the more clever we can become in doing it, if we're not careful. So I'm not saying that to point the finger at others. You know, I'm just conscious that coming to what God says with open hearts is really important. So when was the last time you changed your mind about something or said, okay, no, I think God's word says this, even though that's not what I would probably want it to say or what I would have thought it might say. Last little bit to have a look at. Back to the Proverbs. You were good on sticks and stones. Complete these ones. When life gives you lemons, children should be seen. I'm not uh, necessarily saying I agree with these ones. These are just ones I thought of, by the way. <laughs> Give him an inch. You can take the boy out of the city. Can't take the city out of the boy. Rhymes, sayings, proverbs, they're memorable, aren't they? You know, we've heard them, we grew up with them, we know them. You know, it's even more true with songs, isn't it? If I, if I, if I go, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. That's a bit weird in October, isn't it? Or if I, or if I say, In Christ alone my hope is found. You know, it's true with deep things. It's true with silly things too. You know, if I, if I say, I'm just a poor boy, nobody loves me. Look. <laughs> Are we recording this, by the way? <laughs> Only if I will be on the microphone, you can be thankful of that. That memorability, if that's a word, the way that things are memorable, I think, is why Paul finishes this bit with those words at the top of page 1196, if you have a quick look. He gives Timothy this little ditty to remember. I don't know if it was just a poem. Um, it's kind of like a proverb. Maybe it had a tune. Um, but it's something which I guess was memorable. And we know, don't we, how much more easily we remember things which have, which have got a rhythm or a rhyme, or a tune to them. It's probably true to say it's, it's, it's why what we sing in church matters so much, isn't it? Probably the people who, who have been in church are much more likely to remember the words of a song that we've sung than anything that I've said, which is always good for my humility, uh, on a Monday morning. And maybe we can imagine Paul, or maybe later on Timothy, you know, repeating these words that he's memorized to himself under his breath, perhaps when he's facing temptation, or some kind of danger, or being arrested, or something like that. Verse 11 if we died with him, we'll also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. They're to be words of encouragement, I think. Um, those last couple of lines sound slightly strange, don't they, at first reading? I don't know uh, what you thought. If we deny him, he will deny us. Speaking about Jesus, he's the him in all of this. But if we're faithless, don't worry, he's always faithful. Is that a, a contradiction? 
I don't think it is, because that would be weird if Paul wrote something which was directly contradictory there, wouldn't it? I think it's the difference between a serious warning about the person who denies that Jesus is Lord or King. <laughs> Great timing with the thunder. <laughs> you know, that's a serious thing. If we deny him, you know, in the end he'll say, your will be done. Um, and deny you. Jesus warned that in several places. Difference between that and what, when Paul uses the word faithless here, um, he doesn't mean if we give up on our faith in Jesus. It's more just recognizing that our own faithfulness is often wavering, isn't it? Wobbly, weak. Sometimes under pressure, we will mess it up in our faith, won't we? We'll get it wrong. We'll wish we'd done things differently, had the courage to say something else or to resist a, a temptation. But I think these words are saying, you know, Jesus knows his sheep. He's the shepherd and he knows his sheep. He doesn't become unfaithful to us just because we mess it up and let him down, even when we wobble and get it wrong. He holds on to us even if our grip on him has slipped. So it's kind of the difference in these two between being faithless and denying him. It's the difference between being in a storm on a ship and getting washed off the deck. That will happen to us in the Christian life sometimes. Stuff will go on and we'll, we'll, we'll find that we've, you know, we've been washed clean off the deck, we've messed it up again and we've landed in the water and Jesus is there to lift us back up because he is always faithful. The difference between that and just deciding to jump off the ship and swim away because we don't want to be on that ship anymore uh, and choosing that for ourselves. For the leader who loves Jesus, for the disciple who loves Jesus, however shakily we love him, these words are good news for us. They remind us of his faithfulness. So in summary, I said at the beginning, Jesus-shaped leaders stick firmly to the word of God because it cannot be chained. Or another way of putting it would be, Jesus-shaped leaders trust what God has said because he is always faithful. Let's just pray for a moment. And I'll, before I lead us in a prayer, why don't we just be quiet for a moment and uh, you might just like to reflect on the encouragement, hopefully, that this is for us. Perhaps the reminder with a bit of a challenge in there as well about how we think about God's word. And then I'll pray for us and I'll use those words at the end of our passage. Lord Jesus, thank you for those words that Paul is able to, to write of you perhaps quoting from somewhere else, a, a song or a, a proverb from the early church, saying, if we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will also disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. So he cannot disown himself. And so we praise you, Lord, that you are always faithful. Thank you that it is true what Isaiah said all those centuries before. Uh, that the word of God which goes out from his mouth will not return to him empty. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us more and more to be people who know your word, like Paul, who trust your word and who depend on your word. Lord, give us ears to hear and hearts and minds to receive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.